0: From a, uh, a writer named Brennan Manning. If we take all the goodness, wisdom, and compassion of the best mothers and fathers who have ever lived, they would only be a faint shadow of the love and mercy in the heart of the redeeming God. God, he is just, he's just so good. I, I've never gotten over the gospel. I've never gotten over Jesus. I've never gotten over his goodness. And uh, it looks like for all of eternity, God's just going to keep unfolding things to us, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. It's interesting, in John 17, 4, this is before he went to the cross. Okay, he prayed this prayer. He said "He said this to God, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. Isn't that interesting? Before he ever went to the cross, he says, I've done what you've called me to do. Here's two verses later. He says, I have manifested your name to the people. Here's the deal. You're never going to know what God the Father is like unless you look at Jesus. Jesus is the one who perfectly reveals what God the Father is like. When I was a um, little kid, my grandmother would read me. Uh, we had this children's Bible, so it kind of like took the stories and put them in real simple language. And there was this one section she would read. It was out of Luke 15. It was a story of, um, of three things that were lost. And so each one got more and more valuable. There was a story of a uh, hundred sheep and one was lost. And, the, and, you know, there was a woman who had 10 coins and one was lost. So picture like a winning a lottery ticket. I mean, you would just totally go after that. And then there was a man who had two sons and one was lost. And so Jesus, he's telling these stories, and uh, I would just have my grandmother read them to me again and again. I was the favorite grandson, the rest were all, grand- the rest were all granddaughters, so I was the favorite grandson, I was the only grandson, but um, so I just, lo- actually, I, I, I usually preach this passage about every two or three years, just because this meant so much, I actually got to preach it at my grandma's funeral, because she, I, um, I would, just, I don't know what it was, just this story struck me as a little boy, and as soon as she'd finished reading it, I said, grandma, can you read it again? She'd read it again, over and over again. But Jesus, he's telling these series of stories, and there's something that was of extreme value that was lost. And then that which was lost was so valuable that it warranted an all-out search party. They just, they just tore through everything, no matter what it took to get to this. And then when that which was lost was found, there was a great celebration. There was a great, there was a great party. And so um, I want to really focus in on one of the stories. But Jesus, he, here's the reason he's telling the stories. I want you to get this. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 should be coming up on the screen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the accusation against Jesus. The, the religious people were upset because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. So who were... Slow down? Okay, thank you, babe. All right. I'm getting the slow down, like you're nearing tongues level speed, so... There's like tongues, auctioneer level, and then just talking like talking like you're from Detroit and then okay, now here I am. I'm down I'm down four levels. I'm back. Thank you, babe. So who are the tax collector? I feel like, I feel like I feel like I'm in slow motion now. All right. There we go. We're all here. No one's going anywhere. The doors are locked. So Bet you guys didn't know that. You're going to be embarrassed when you try to get out. (laughs) Actually, if you are going to leave, could you not hit that handle so it goes kerchunk? Like when it's quiet, there's like the kerchunk noise, and it's like everybody. And so just like, they're not locked, so you can just like push up. All right, anyway. (laughs) We're actually looking at like, can we take those things off? Like, is it legal? And like, you know, I don't know. So... Seriously. All right, tax collectors. Who were the tax collectors that people were so scandalized that Jesus was eating with? Um, in Israel, these were the lowest of the low. And so here's what you have to figure. Israel is being occupied by Rome. So they got the bad guys are occupying their land. And so Romans, the Romans knew it's going to be stinky trying to take taxes from these Jews. These, these guys, they, uh, they are going to be hard to get money from. So what Romans did is they hired Jews who were willing to betray Jews and go and collect taxes from them. And so what they would do is, uh, it made a pretty good living for the tax collector, but the real money wasn't the wages that they received from Rome. The real money was the fact that they would scam them for more money. They would lie about how much money it was worth. So imagine during the Holocaust, a Jew who was willing to sell out Jews to the Germans. Okay, that's the tax collectors. You can just feel the scandal. Like these people were the sewer rats. They were the lowest of the low. They were the wealthiest men in Israel, but they were also the loneliest. No one wanted to hang out with these guys. The only time anyone talked to them was during tax time. So the Pharisees, they said um, that if, if you brushed up against a tax collector in the, uh, in the marketplace, you were to go home and wash your clothes immediately and take a bath. I mean, like, like cooties like, onto a whole other level. Like, like biblical cooties but okay remember this was the pharisaical law this wasn't biblical law so this is, these are people who they loved god but then they decided to add a whole bunch of rules to help god out okay that's religion and so it was openly said in the synagogue if anyone is able to cheat a tax collector out of money you've done so as an act of worship to god i mean that's how much these guys were just like despised and it's like if you can cheat these guys it's great the Pharisees said in those days that if, um, if a tax collector wanted to have a relationship with God, it would never happen because if they began confessing their sins now all the way until the final judgment, they would never have uh, had enough time so they could never make it to heaven. Well, you're like, this is being taught. So you can just feel the atmosphere of Israel. These people were the lowest of the low. And here's Jesus. He's, he's a friend of tax collectors. Can you just feel the scandal of what that's like there? Um, let's read verse 1 again now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus so the sinners those are the people outside the synagogue these are your prostitutes, your petty thieves your Michigan Wolverine fans all the lowest of the lows in the back alleys of Jerusalem if you remember the Pharisees they would pray this prayer I thank God that I'm not like these tax collectors and sinners right, I mean you could just see the category that they were put in and it's interesting, when God became flesh, he came and he scandalized every decent person by loving all the wrong kinds of people. And it's worse than that, he didn't just let them listen to his teaching, it says he ate with them. Now we typically eat to fill our bellies, but in a lot of parts of the world, and especially in the ancient Near East of that time, eating was almost like a mini covenant. You were, you were bonded with that person that you ate with. And so, um, and still in many parts of the world today, if you were eating a meal at somebody's house, they were obligated to protect you so Jesus is sending a message. He's bonding with these people, letting them know, you're safe with me. I've got your back. I mean, these are are the people that nobody wanted anything to do. And literally, take a bath if you touch them. If you can cheat them, it's a good thing. And Jesus says, I'm on your side. I'll cover you. I've got your back. And word began to spread all over Capernaum. Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. Imagine, um, Billy Graham has ISIS over for Thanksgiving. You can't tell me like that wouldn't make like the, like what? Why is he doing this? Why isn't he telling them how wrong they are and this and this? And you guys get the picture. Or worse yet, if um President Trump or President Obama had ISIS over, that would even be a uh, okay. Note to self: stick with the Billy Graham illustrations, not the presidential illustrations. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So the Pharisees are scandalized. All the decent people are scandalized. Jesus is eating with the spiritual lepers of Israel. The tax collectors and sinners, they didn't know what to do either. I mean, nobody had ever uh, been nice to them or paid attention to them. And um, now the one who's supposed to be the holiest of all, he's eating with them and embracing them. So nobody knows what to do. It's interesting, um, the Pharisees are the ones who called them sinners. Jesus never called them sinners. He called them lost. You have to understand. Lost is you can only lose something that's valuable. Like you've never lost a gum wrapper. Like who cares about a gum wrapper? Like it's like it's fine. Um, I have I had this I have this page out of the Bible from 1560 from a Geneva Bible. It's the it's the Bible that John Bunyan and many of the people who kind of helped shape our. With the, predecessors to the shaping of our country, the, the theology of it. And so the, uh, this one page is from Acts 19, one of my favorite passages with the seven sons of Sceva and all that stuff, and Paul's handkerchiefs and all that great stuff. So it's very valid. I remember um, when we moved, I, I lost this thing. And so I'm like, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, I've had this thing for like 15 years. I, I love this thing. I've never had a chance to put it in a frame. And so um, I, it warranted an all-out search. I mean, I'm going through books, I'm tearing through boxes, everything that I could do because this thing was valuable. You know what? Uh, well, now Mary has it in some like double-paned glass, double-sided, uh, UV-protected, and so it's, it's in a good spot now. So it's much safer than where it was. But um, and so the uh, here's the thing. I've never lost a sticky note because sticky notes aren't valuable. But I've lost something of extreme value. So when Jesus is calling these people lost. He's saying that they are of extreme value. There's something so dear to the Father's heart that it, that it warrants an all-out search party. See the difference? When we use the word lost, sometimes it can almost be insulting. It's almost like that person's lost and I'm found. It's like this, I'm better than you type of thing. And you have to understand, um, when Jesus is using this language, it is, it is the most endearing, valued language that, that he could come up with. He's saying that um, you're of extreme value. You are the focus of God's concern. You're the whole reason why I'm here. So Jesus tells this story. Uh, he tells this series of stories. And I'm going to tell the story of the prodigal son here, but I want you to just kind of in your minds go back with me 2,000 years. I want you to hear it like the first century hearers would have heard it. So can you guys go back with me in time a little bit? you guys okay? All right, I, I knew I knew this was the advanced class. See, the, the people who couldn't handle this, they probably went to Pickerington to hear David Jonas. But not you guys. You guys are ready for the stuff, all right? Luke 15, verse 11, and Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. We're going to see that both sons had a problem with their father. Both of them misunderstood who dad was and it manifests. And um, both of these sons, you can see them in any church in America. It just runs through it, and the the solution's the same. It's beautiful. So the younger son goes to his father, and he does something that, if you know your Old Testament law, is illegal. He tells the father, basically, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. So the Old Testament law protected fathers from giving an inheritance too soon, because the parents still needed the capital to live off of. And so uh, by going and asking for this, it's, it's, but not only did it break biblical law, it's just, it's just inappropriate for a Jewish son to go and demand his thing. And so the father does something interesting. He actually gives it to him. And uh, I mean, the son, Dad, I don't care if this, if this takes from the capital that feeds you. I don't care. I want it now. Verse 13. Uh, so that, um, and the father divided his property between them. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When it says far country, don't think like geographically, like, you know, he went thousands of miles. Far country in the Bible means Gentiles. Remember in the book of Acts, and it says, This promise is not only for those here, but those who are far off, saying that the Holy Spirit is, those for, is also for the Gentiles. And when he went to the far country, picture this is he's going to a place where there's no synagogues, no covenants. He's turning his back on the religion of, the, of the, how he was raised. So, I mean, just, you can imagine that. Remember, the Pharisees, they're disgusted that Jesus is eating with these people, and now he's telling the story. I mean, you can, you can just feel the nausea just beginning to churn in their stomach as here's this young man who insults his father, you know, wishes that he was dead, takes the inheritance early. I don't care if it hurts you, and now he's going to a place where there is no, none of his father's religion. He's completely turned his back on God, and so you know, if you're imagining a Pharisee listening to this, I mean, this, this boy has gone beyond hope. He has slipped out of the hold of the covenants. This is bad news. Verse fourteen And when the son had spent everything, a severe famine rose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he starts off living large and uh, lots of friends and everything. And then when the money runs out, the friends are gone. And then a famine hits. And so he, um, it's not so bad that he's doing manual labor. But you have to understand, for a Jew, farming is great. Being a pig farmer, um, not kosher. Like, like It's the definition of not kosher here. Um, Leviticus 11's got some interesting things about animals that are clean and unclean. Certain animals you can't eat. One of them is you can't eat the owl, which I've never really wrestled with the owl whole thing. But um, the focus of the whole thing is the pig. So the Jews were known as the people who do not eat bacon. They're the ones who do not eat pork. They, they keep kosher, all that stuff. And so um, here's what Leviticus 11 says about the pig. I want you to, because this is what's in the mind of these people who are hearing this story. Leviticus 11, to the covenant people, and the pig, because it parts its hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. What does all this mean? I don't know. Verse 8, you shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And it goes on to say this of unclean animals. They are detestable to you. So here's the picture. Is, um, not only if you eat a pig, remember we're under the New Covenant for all of you like feeling guilty over your bacon cheeseburgers. It's Okay. New Covenant, but just the Old Covenant had some different things in there that separated them. Every area of their life was separate to God. And so here's the picture is not only if you eat the pig, but if you touch the pig, you become as unclean and detestable as that pig. Okay, so here's the the picture is the Pharisees are listening to this, and you can see they're just about ready to throw up in their mouths at this point, where this boy has wished his father dead. He's taken away his father's livelihood, turned his back on religion, and now he is slopping the pigs. I mean, not only is he like touching them, he's propagating the species. I mean, it does not get any worse than to be a pig farmer. And um, I mean, Jesus, he was such a brilliant storyteller, wasn't he? <laughs> you can just feel like the anger. It's like it can't get any worse. And then Jesus, he just, you know, the bottom falls on it, just keeps getting worse. Um, so there the boy is. He's emaciated. He's smelling, and uh, you know when you get to this point, you just begin to feel worthless there in the pig farm. Verse 17, But when the boy came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. So there he is, sitting ankle deep in pig filth, and he begins to kind of get this plan. He's like, you know what? Um, I remember the hired servants of my father. They had enough food. They had enough to spare. And so I want you to see what he's doing here. He doesn't think he can come all the way home as a son. No, no, no. Like That bridge is burned. He's not even trying to become like a hired servant in the household. He's looking to basically be a temp hired servant there was somebody who was like a seasonal worker and so you can imagine the landowner would come they would go down to the marketplace about 5 30 in the morning and they would say hey i need three workers who will work the day during the harvest season you know the sowing season and the reaping season and so the son is basically looking to be a temp in his father's house knowing that hey as long as i'm there you know i'll get enough food and so he uh so he remembers this about his dad hey whatever else i believe about my dad i do know this he's generous and that even his servants had more than enough. And so it's like he begins preparing this little speech for his father. You know, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And you can imagine the, the Pharisees are like, yeah, this kid needs to grovel. He sure has. And um, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Well, that's for sure. Um, Make me one of your hired servants. And so he, you can hear what he's saying. God, he's saying, um, Father, will you forgive me enough just so that I can work for you and that you'll take care of me, but I don't expect anything else. I, I can't come all the way home. I, I know I can never do that sun thing again, but if I could just have enough will you hire me, two square meals a day, that's better than I'm getting now. That's, that's the limit of his expectations. He never expected total forgiveness because he'd blown it way too bad. Um, I've, I, I think every one of us know people like this. I, I have a friend who, uh, man, he walked away from God from 10 years, for 10 years, and he, he said the only prayer he could pray was, was God protect my kids. He didn't feel worthy enough to ask for anything for himself you see what I'm saying? Like people, that, that gang—that's religion. That's religion. That it feels so humble that I can—I can just do this, and God, I'm not asking for much for me. You know, just—just just for this and that. And that's that—that's that. That's that that's religion. Jesus is painting a picture of a boy who will come home to a point, but he's hanging around the edge for a charitable donation. Hey, God, if you can just throw a few crumbs my way every once in a while, that's—I'll be happy with that. I, it's more than I deserve, right? Why does Jesus inject this into this story, this little speech part? And uh, It's because he knows the heart of a man. He knows that when we blow it, that there's something on the inside of us that only believes we can come home so far. We can't make it all the way back. And so what's interesting is the Pharisees had a very similar story. Okay, And so um, their story, the Pharisees, they'd be following along thinking, hey, Jesus is taking this right out of our playbook. So here's how the Pharisee story goes. A certain son goes off to a foreign country. They leave the pig bit out, but they're thinking, hey, Jesus, that's actually pretty good. You know, This is even more detestable. You know, So they're following along. And then when the son wants to come back in their story, here's how the Pharisee story says. The Pharisee story, the father says, yes, you can come back, but you will be my slave forever, and I will beat you into subjection before I die. You will prove to me that you obey me. That's the Pharisee story. So, okay, so Jesus is setting this thing up. This son's actually worse than the son in their story. Now they're coming home. The Pharisees are waiting for the father to lower the boom on this guy. You can just see, they're just full of righteous, self righteousness. And so it's in this mood that the boy begins to come home. Verse 30 or verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. You ready for this? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. (laughs) I mean, what kind of father is this? I mean, his son has insulted him, not worried about if he was hurting him, turned his back on religion, slopping the pigs, all these stuff. I mean, the son, he's lost it all, wasted his money on riotous living, all this stuff. And where was the father? Um, You know, it's interesting, the father didn't go and nag him and beg them, and, and do all these other things. Sometimes the hardest work of a parent when kids are going a little awry is to wait, is to wait and to believe. And you can, you can almost see the father, you know, you know, how did he see the, he, the only way he could have saw the son a long way off was if he looked for him every single day. And he's down there, you can almost see he's got one eye working on the field, but he's got another eye looking down the road saying, boy, I wonder when there's gonna be the day when uh, I see the silhouette of that boy. And never forget it. And so he's, uh, he's out there, and uh, he comes back out, and he looks, and he sees the silhouette. He's a little bit emaciated. He's, uh, he's a little bit hunched over because he's full of shame, but he says, I know that's my boy. And uh, it didn't say that he stood on the porch with his arms folded and waited for his son to come grovel for his forgiveness. It didn't say that he had the, I hope you learned your lesson speech ready for the son. Many of us would have the, I hope you learned your lesson, I told you so speech ready. Not this father. <laughs> Remember, Jesus is telling us what dad's like. It says, uh, it says, you have to understand, it says he ran to him. And so uh, in Jewish tradition, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling. It's, uh, it's, it's embarrassing for an elderly man to run because they didn't have on pants and shorts or they didn't have on yoga pants or sweatpants. <laughs> they had on robes and so it would have been clumsy and so they would have had to have picked up their robes and exposed their ankles, which in that culture was just it was just embarrassing. It was undignified for a father to do this. So you have to see. Here's a father who has been scanning the horizon for the silhouette of that boy, and he's willing to undignify himself, and he runs, goes, and runs to him. That's him. That's my boy. And uh, while he was away, his his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Um, I love. Uh, I grew up on the King James Bible. It's uh, you know some of the language is a little complicated. Some verses. They're just the best in the King James. You just can't beat them. Uh, one is where um, Lazarus was dead, and Martha says, but Lord, he stinketh. You cannot beat the King James. Stinketh, classic, classic. Um, here, uh, you cannot beat the King James, uh, where it says he embraced him, In the uh, New International Version here what the King James says, it says he fell on his neck. What's that a picture of? He's given this boy a bear hug. He's getting right in there in the pig grime and the smell and the dirtiness, and he's burying his face right in his neck. And here's what it says. It says, um, he kissed him. If you look in the margins of your Bible, it'll say, he kissed him repeatedly. Another translation says, smothered him with kisses. This father embraces his boy in the filth and the dirt and begins to wash him with his tears. Don't forget, guys, uh, Jesus is describing to us the character of our father. God embraces the rebellious who wish he was dead and smothers them and embraces them with kisses. So the boy, he begins fumbling for the piece of paper. Remember, he's got this little speech prepared that he's gonna give to the father. And he gets it out, and you can just hear his voice stammering. And verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember what the next phrase is? Make me one of your hired servants. He doesn't even get to finish. <laughs> father cuts him off. We'll have none of this. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. We're having steak tonight, guys. And let us eat and celebrate. Crank up the music. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Well, I bet you that's one of the great understatements in the Bible. And they begin to celebrate. I bet you they redefined the word party that day. Don't you think it's interesting? Um, why did he send a servant to bring him a robe? Why didn't he just walk with the son into the house? Didn't you ever wonder about that? He sent a servant to go bring him a robe. Here's the deal: is the son's in this emaciated, filthy condition, and if the father were to walked him through the household in front of all the other staff they would always have in their mind the humiliated condition of the son. So the father says, uh, when we walk through this house, you're going to look like me. Bring him my robe. Says he put shoes on his feet. He obviously didn't have any. That was the status of a slave. And he says, not only are you going to be clothed in my righteousness and look like me, but you're going to have the shoes of a son. Puts a ring on his finger. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It was American Express card. That's how they transacted business back then. It was a signet ring. It was a signature ring. Son, you've wasted a third of your inheritance. Here's the rest. (laughs) What kind of father is this? His signature covers it all. When you stand before demons, when you stand before sickness, when you stand before any kind of need, he just says, ask anything in my name and it will be done. Signet ring. Verse 25, now his older son was in a field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. How many of you know religion hates music and dancing? Uh, why do you have to have the worship service so long? Can't you just get to the word? Now you're a meddling preacher. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, This was the servant's response to the older brother. Your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years, I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother... This son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. The story never told that part. Religion always makes it worse than it is. You kill the fattened calf for him. Here's the deal. The older brother sat in the house with the blessings of the father every single day and didn't recognize it. He only saw himself as a worker. He saw dad as a slave driver. And it all came out in this one night. He'd been slaving since dawn, and here he comes, dead tired, with dirt on his fingers, and he hears music. He sees the servants doing the Macarena, (laughs) cooking steaks on the grill, and he has just about had enough. Listen, we didn't discuss this at breakfast. What is happening here? What's with this joy and celebration? father comes out and pleads with them. And the boy's attitude is basically, if he can't perform like a son, I'm not going to accept him. Your son wasted our inheritance on prostitutes. He wallowed like a pig. What do you do? Here's what God does. He gives him a feast. He smothers him with kisses. He scans the horizon day by day. It's almost like there was these invisible hands drawing the son home. I love you. Come on home, son. It's okay. You can almost see the father step back and here's his response to the older brother. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's interesting. Both sons misunderstood what dad was like. One responded in sin and and was lost. The other tried to earn his father's approval and missed that he had it the whole time. This is kind of the divide of the church right here, gang. It's either the grace of God is so good we can just go out and sin. I can do whatever I want. Or it's um, God's this taskmaster. i got to keep these rules. I started off the service saying this. The message of religion is you are not doing enough. You're not seeking enough. You're not reading enough. You're not praying enough. You're not being good enough. You, you, you. The new covenant, God says, I will put my spirit in you. I will give you a new heart. I will put my words in you. I will move you to follow my decrees. I will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. Focus of the old covenant is on what you need to do. Focus of the, did I say it right? Focus of the old covenant. Yeah, I want to get that one right. <laughs> old covenant focuses on what you need to do. The focus of the new covenant is on what Jesus did instead of you, in place of you, as you. And so our only part is to believe that that's enough. Let me ask you, was Jesus beat enough, was he whipped enough for your sickness, or do you need to pay a little extra price with your prayers and fasting? Well, you're not healed. Well, you probably need to fast more. You probably need to pray more. Fasting and prayer can be good if it gets you to the point of simple childlike faith, because that's all that's necessary to receive everything that Jesus did. All the things that you're not doing enough of, those can be wisdom instead of works if they're helping you come to the simplicity of staying preoccupied with Jesus. You want to walk in the spirit? Stay preoccupied with Jesus. Stay fascinated with him. You want the blessing of God in your life? Stay fascinated with Jesus. Notice what I'm not saying, all the things you need to do. Is focus on all the things that he has already done. Gang, it's it's scandalous. So, if you ever hear preaching from me, or if you ever hear preaching from this pulpit that is focusing on all the things you need to do to please God, write it off. It's old covenant. I'm not saying there's not going to be things that you might need to do that are wisdom in response. Grace is opposed to earning; it's not opposed to effort. The same actions for one person can be earning, and the same past. Uh, um, for the same uh, actions for the next person can be wisdom and receiving grace. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. The first son saw the father as a conduit to his own pleasures. The elder son saw his dad as a taskmaster in the fields. As a father of three boys, I can tell you why the thing I value more than anything else for my boys is just their relationship with them. It's not that they mow the grass, although that's super cool. It's not that they had Pinewood Derby races and I got to get all my geekiness out and all that stuff. It's, it's not that. Um, the joy of every parent is when your kids are old enough to not have to spend time with you, and they choose to. And that's the glory of God as well. Here's what I want to do. I want to I just take a moment. And um, How many of you here are born again? I want you to raise your hand. You know Jesus. Okay? I want, you to, uh, I want you to just reflect for a moment on the fact that there was a the other two stories, it talks about how um, this story actually talks about how uh, I didn't get to read the verse, that there was a banner in heaven with your name on it, and all of heaven rejoiced when one lost sinner came home. I want you to I want you to just just close your eyes, and I want you to just have this thought that the day that you were born again, there was a banner in heaven with your name on it, and all of the angels and all the saints of old, and all of your relatives who sowed seeds into that family line, and the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they partied, and they rejoiced, and they celebrated as if you found the winning lottery ticket that you lost, as if the one sheep that was so valuable that, you know, the family pet had been found, and As the one lost sinner comes home, that you can only lose something that's valuable. I wanted just to wash over you for a moment that there was a day when all heaven rejoiced over you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that every person in here is that valuable to you, that you are the Father scanning the horizon. I want you to take a moment and reflect on uh, the phrase that the father said, everything I have is yours. Remember, this was a kid who had, (laughs) these two had blown it in many ways big time. And the father's response to them was to smother them with kisses and to say, everything I have is yours. I want you to take a moment, reflect on God's goodness, and that it's independent of your behavior. Everything God has is yours. We're going to ask God two questions. Here's the first question. Father, show me if there are any ways in my life where I choose to act like the rebellious son. This isn't guilty time. This is God being merciful to pull weeds out of your soil. So here's the question. It's just between you and the Lord. Father, show me if there are any ways in my life where I choose to act like the rebellious son. If he shows you anything, just, God, forgive me. Give me strength to live differently, Lord. I don't want, I don't want that part of my life anymore. So ask the Father. How many of you believe that the person next to you needed to hear something? How many of you guys believe that? Just kidding. Here's the second question. Father, show me the areas in my life where I choose to live like the religious son, working as a slave for your love and inheritance instead of knowing it's all been mine from the very beginning. Just ask God that. All right, let's just stand here. We're going to make some declarations at the end here. You guys ready? Now, we're going to be using the word son. And so, um, if you're a, listen, every guy is going to be a daughter in law for all eternity because we're the bride of Christ. Okay? So, us guys, we're cool with that. All right? And so, you, um, you uh, girls, you can be sons for a little bit here. Okay? It's just, you got to, it's just, it's a broad term, but just, it's just catchier when you say it like that. All right, you ready? I am not a slave I am a son All that you have is mine You are my loving father There's nothing I can do Where you withhold your love for me There's nothing I can do To make you love me more You just love me Because I'm yours Here's my prayer for you, Ephesians 3.18. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. boy we did not plan the uh, the song service the transition time and with this message it almost is like like one of those secret services where like everything's got a theme it's like oh my gosh this is amazing but boy god this whole time has just been trying to reinforce his unconditional love that just chases it's like every song was saying it. i'm like they're preaching it this is amazing and so but i'll still preach for an hour anyway so um God is—he is really trying to get a point across for you. And I tell you what, you will—your life will change in proportion to how much you stay thinking these thoughts. You know, Second uh, Peter one says, "Grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God." So, how do you, grace is God's empowering presence? I mean, peace is that—that—that that, uh, that shalom that cancels chaos. How do you experience more of God in your life? It's in direct proportion to your true knowledge of how he really is you're only going to experience god to the level that you believe your beliefs are in alignment with truth and so as you begin to understand god is love if you have nothing else god is love there's good theology that'll, that'll that'll save you from a lot so lord we just bless each person in here would help us to live in light of the smile of god over our lives Because of Jesus, we've got a big fat yes and amen over every promise in our life. And Lord, when we hear that, it just makes us want to draw closer. You know, the woman caught in adultery when uh, Jesus said, forgave her, restored her, said, go and sin no more. She wasn't thinking, oh sweet, I can go hop in bed with some more lovers. Uh, That grace transformed her. And so, Lord, we want to experience an empowering grace to be transformed. We don't have to clean ourselves up, Lord, we just want you. Any shame, we break it off in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If there's anyone in here and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and uh, you've been hearing this message of a good God, maybe uh, you heard a message from religion, or maybe this is just all new to you. I just would uh, love to give you an opportunity to respond. And you're, you're here today and you're saying, you know what, I want to trust Jesus. I want to enter into a relationship with the Father like this. I want as much of God in my life as possible. If you're here, I'm just going to ask you to do something bold, but there's a promise that comes with it. Jesus says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. So I'm going to ask you to do something brave and, uh, and just raise your hand and say, you know what, that's me. I, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to trust Jesus today. Is there anybody in here that's you and you want to take that step and, uh, and connect with this scandalous love of God? Is there anybody in here? All right, if you didn't raise your hand and you still want someone to pray, uh, our teams will be down here. They'll be the ones with tags on if our ministry teams could come forward. Mm -hmm.